So I guess it's still wet outside. <laughs> it will stop someday. It's good to uh, be here this morning and to gather together. You know, it's, it's great to encourage each other and to get to know each other a little bit. I'm glad that you shook hands with those around you. And I encourage you right now to take out the uh, worship folder that you have there. There's some outline on the inside cover. There's some, also some things we inserted inside there. We'll let you know about those a little later on. But uh, turn over to the notes section and you'll want to jot down some notes. And, and as we uh, talk this morning together, as we look into God's Word. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you a, a question. When you think... When you hear the word faithfulness or loyalty, uh, what animal comes to mind? Okay, a dog, right? Now, if I was to ask Kay uh, Takazawa, who's in the sound booth, Kay, uh, if I was to ask you what specific dog would come to mind, who would that be? Hachiko. Hachiko the dog. Anybody heard of Hachiko the dog? A few of you have? Well, check this out, this video. And meet Hachiko. He may just have been the most loyal dog in the world. We end tonight with a tale of devotion that stood the test of time. Barry Peterson in Tokyo reports it began with a bond forged between a dog and his owner more than 80 years ago. At this crossroad of busy 24-7 Tokyo, half a million people a day hurry by. But some pause, spending a moment with a dog who is the stuff of mythology. His name is Hachiko, who waited every afternoon at the train station for his owner, a professor, who died suddenly in 1925. But Hachiko didn't understand that his master was gone, so for a decade, until he also died, he lived as a stray so he could come to the station at the same time with the same mission to wait. In 1934, a statue was erected for the dog said to embody Japan's sense of loyalty after he became famous from newspaper articles and books. And Hachiko still fuels the popularity of the breed, the Akita, distinctly Japanese, with what some say are distinctly Japanese values. The Akita are like samurai warriors, this breeder explained, instinctively loyal to the leader of their human family. Hachi! Americans will learn Hachiko's story in a Richard Gere movie out later this year, but set in the U.S. Back in Japan, the paw prints at the nearby train station lead thousands to Hachiko, a dog who was forever lonely for one more pat on the head, one last moment of his master's love. That kind of loyalty is extreme. Uh, it's intense, uh, tremendous, uh, a relentless faith in its master. And a great example of the same kind of faith uh, we need to have as true followers of Jesus. Last week, as we gathered together, we were challenged to uh, be all in as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple of Christ. We looked at the Bible book of Luke, which we've been studying for the last few months, and as Jesus, who is the ultimate all-in example, had set his faith towards his unique call of going to the cross. As you know, that uh, all of us uh, humans, we have issues. <laughs> Not just the person next to you, <laughs> but we have issues. Uh, uh, we have a problem. The Bible calls it sin. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've, we've sinned. 
And that sin uh, is, uh, we're born into it and we just add to it as we move through life. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. And I don't do what God has asked me to do and I do the very things God has told me not to do. And then sin is part of our life. And then we can try to change that behavior and we do a pretty good job of it by, by uh, changing how we act, by taking on biblical values, by memorizing scripture, by going to church, by studying our Bibles. And those are all good things, but it doesn't take care of the sin. Uh, this sin that we have been born into and, and add to this mountain of moral debt, some have called it, it just cannot be erased in any human way. And try as we might, there's no way to release us from that. We need a sinless sacrifice, someone to pay the penalty for us, and that's exactly what Jesus did when he walked to the cross and went through that uh, torture and, and a horrific pain of, of being brutalized and then being executed on a cross. But he didn't stay dead. On Easter Sunday, it's now called Easter Sunday, that Sunday he rose from the dead. And we are excited about this, the pinnacle of our faith. That's why we focus towards it and get excited about it and can't wait to celebrate on that Easter Sunday of, the, of our risen Lord. It's like placing a stamp of authenticity and all that Jesus said that he really did pay the penalty for our sin. And if we so choose to come to that place in our life where we believe and, and take upon that place of making confession that we're sinful and a confession that we need a Savior and, and confessing it's Jesus, that's how we believe, then we that sin is erased from us. It's covered by the death of Christ. But Jesus, in that all-in example, set his face towards Jerusalem to pay our sin debt. And then from Luke chapter 9 on, we're taught how to live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus and how to be all-in. Luke 10 talks to the disciples as they go out on the missionary journey and Luke talks about that and then uh, the chapters following all the way up to 18 Luke gives some great teachings uh, like the parables of the Good Samaritan uh, he teaches on business and on prayer and how much God cares for us and talks about money and giving and we'll talk about a lot of that after Easter as we continue our study in the book of Luke but now in Luke 18 Jesus is right there ready to enter into the city of Jerusalem the city where he will experience all that he knows he will experience. The disciples don't know it. And where he's going to be executed for our sin. And Jesus pulls the men together in Luke chapter 18, verse 31. And here's what happens. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. And everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He'll be handed to the Gentiles and they will mock him and insult him and spit upon him and flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. And the disciples stood there in shock and awe, saying, Lord, may this not be. No, that's not what it says. It says the disciples did not understand this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. They were blind to what Jesus was saying. They couldn't understand it. They, they, they didn't understand what Jesus was doing and why he was doing it. And even they didn't even understand their part in all of that. Their faith was little and, 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 and moderate. And we're not so different from them. We go about our life and we say that we're all in in our faith and, and in our discipleship with Christ. And we, yet there's no actions or no evidence in our life to show that. We go through an issue and a problem and we forget Jesus. We forget all about him. We forget that he's even there and, and we, 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 we can't trust him. We just don't even see him in our lives. And our personal agenda overshadows Jesus' unique call on our life. 
and we can't see our purpose, we get blinded too. Now, these great men did get it, and, and so can we. But it's going to take something far beyond the, the loyalty of a dog. It's going to take relentless faith. Faith like a man, Luke uh, brings out in Luke chapter 18, verse 35 to 43, that though he was blind, he saw, and he acted on what he saw. Luke gives us here four courageous actions of relentless faith. I'd like for us to explore that, but before we do, if you wouldn't mind standing one more time for prayer. Father, we come this morning on this another gloomy Sunday, but yet, Lord, we're enlightened by the truth of your word. And Father, I pray that you would challenge us this morning, that you would help us as we seek to honor you with our life, how it is we can have this relentless faith. Holy Spirit, with each one of these points, challenge each one of us, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Have a seat and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, our ushers would love to put one in your hand and loan her Bible. They're walking down the aisle right now with a stack of Bibles in their hand. If you would like one, just kind of get their attention, wave at them, and they would be happy to let you borrow one. Now, this is a loaner. In other words, don't steal it. Uh, but if you, do, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one at the end of the service, head back to the lobby area and at the front desk there, just ask them for a Bible and they'd be happy to give you one for free. Now, as we're going into this, uh, take your notepaper and, uh, and write on the top there, Luke, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 to 34, and Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Those are the other accounts, uh, Mark and Matthew's account of this occurrence, and, and there are some differences there. So read those two later on and notice the differences. There's uh, true explanations to those, and, and if you want to know the answer, you can give me a call or uh, write, write me a note on email, and I'll be happy to let you know those. But four courageous actions here in Luke to gain relentless faith. The first is to persist in humility and curiosity. Let's look into the story, Luke chapter 18, verses 35 uh, through 37. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man... Uh, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They said to him, Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth is passing by. Bartimaeus is the name of this one because as we read the account in Mark, he gives the name to one of these blind men, and and it's Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus knew uh, his need and was doing all he could with his life condition and he was begging. It was humbling. Some of you have been in that state where the finances are gone and life is rough and you've had to go ask for family or friends of the church for funds and it is humbling. Sometimes in life we get humbled. We go through issues and struggles and it humbles us. Whether it's a trial or, a, or, or an issue in life or where we're put in a place of need, it is humbling. And yet it's a character quality that God calls us to. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may lift you up in due time. What does it mean to be humble? Well, Jesus gives us a, a great example of himself. And if you take your Bible and open up to Philippians, all over Scripture tells us how to be humble. And you can find many places, but one of my favorites is found in the book of Philippians. So flip over to Philippians. It's east of where you are in Luke. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 
Philippians chapter 2, it's a very familiar passage that is dealing with Christ who is, who is the ultimate example of humility and it says this, For who being the very nature of God, in verse 6, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to death on the cross. A number of things and qualities, if you have your own Bible, you can underline these where it says, he, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Humility is not putting ourselves in that place where we call ourselves God, where we put ourselves in the driver's seat, where we put ourselves in the throne of our life, where we render life all around ourselves. That's where we make ourselves God. And it's so easy to do. We look at life going at our agenda, what we want to do, and yet we're to be under. And that actually the, the literal translation of the word humble means to place yourself under. So we're to place ourselves under God's direction and what God wants, not for ourselves to be in that. And a lot of times we're very proud putting ourselves in there. Here's another way. It says, uh, um, made himself nothing. Not nothing that, oh lowly worm am I, but made ourselves nothing next to God. That he is the ultimate reason for our existence. Not that we're uh, always cutting ourselves down, but that we understand that we are not God. (laughs) That we are nothing compared to him. And that we're servants. That we're willing to serve other people. If you want to be humble, serve other people. And being obedient be obedient to God and what he has called us to do and, and follow his line. That's how you be humble. And humility doesn't come easy. At times, God allows us to deal with issues in life <clears throat> to keep us humble, like he did with Paul. Write down somewhere in your notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at that later where it talks about Paul who had an issue, who had a problem. Now, we're not sure what it is, but he called it his thorn in the flesh. And he begged God, he pleaded with God many times, Lord, take this away from me. And God didn't. God allowed it to be there. Not because God is mean, but as Paul said, it kept me from glorifying myself. It kept me humble. Uh, write down uh, 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 14 to 13. Here's another, another example of that where, where uh, David, King David, is constantly being insulted by this character named Shimei. He would, he would it says, pelt the, the, the warriors with rocks and throw rocks at the king. Now, that was a capital offense. And as the, the warriors were ready to pull out their swords and lop off his head, they, David stopped him and said, you know, how do I know that, that God didn't send him there? Send him there to possibly keep David humble. So instead of letting pride the pride of revenge and retaliation or anger consume us. We need to choose to let these issues, let these disabilities, let these struggles in our life humble us and humble us to seek Jesus. See, for Bartimaeus, his disability of physical blindness actually put him in the path of Jesus. So let the struggles of your life, we all face them. And some of you this morning I know are facing deep struggles in your life. Let them put you in the path of Jesus. Now I know it's frustrating. I know it's difficult. I've had my fair share of issues and struggles in life. But instead of whipping ourselves and up how bad we are, let them move us to seek Jesus all that much more. And to not only be humble now, but to be inquisitive, to be curious Inquisitive 
in the willingness to learn, to educate ourselves, to cause ourselves to dig deeper into who Jesus is and how he wants us to live instead of being entertained. You know, a lot of times we go to the scripture and we go to church and we listen to the Christian radio, not because we're wanting to learn, because we want to be entertained. We want it to tickle our ears and to make it pleasant to hear. And, and we are often, uh, when we come back from a time of preaching or a time of listening to someone who's uh, expounding on the word of God, we say it was good because it was entertaining, not because we gained knowledge from it. And we need to be gaining knowledge and looking to educate ourselves and not entertain ourselves to do what is actually needed to grow, to change and to mature in faith, to take on those things and dig deep. It's like when we want to learn something, we dig into it. You know, if we want to learn how to cook something, we, we dig into the recipe. If we want to learn how to fix something, we, we go to the manual. We need to go to God's manual and to dig in. One of the values that I'm very thankful for my dad in instilling me is that value of learning. As a university professor, he was always teaching. He'd say, son, come here, and he'd show us how to work the engine. Son, come here, and show us how to take apart a blender. Son, come here, let me show you how this works and all these measurements and things like that. And, I, and take us to uh, uh, museums and, and places of interest to teach us something so that we would learn. And I learned to be curious. Now, it did get me into trouble at times like the time when I was five and tried to drive our car. <laughs> and I have a few scars uh, from my learning adventures. But I gained the love to learn. So the challenge here is to keep going, to keep learning, to join God's great adventure of learning. So be courageous. Be uh, humble and inquisitive towards Jesus. That's part of relentless faith. And that's what's needed to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So will you be humble? Will you let the circumstances of your life humble you and, and make you curious towards Jesus? Not in, in blame, but in actually looking at Christ and learning about Him. That's the challenge. The next uh, courageous action of relentless faith is to have an, an unyielding belief in Jesus. Let's look back at our story in Luke 18. We'll pick it up again at... Uh, Verse uh, 35, when he, that's Bartimaeus, the blind man, heard the crowd come by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him, be quiet. He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. There is no doubt Bartimaeus had some understanding of Messiah. Uh, this uh, uh, wonderful, godly leader king that was uh, prophesied and, and, and excited, prayed about and, and, and studied about all through Jewish history. Everybody from the time they were young to the time they were old knew of, who, of Messiah and that Messiah was coming and wondered who would this be. Every time there was great oppression or struggle or, or issues or even just daily life, people would say, is this the time that Messiah would come? And ever since they were little, and, and maybe Bartimaeus had heard or read because we know that he was seeing at one time because when he asked the Lord what to do, he says, please regain my sight. So maybe it was cataracts or some other disease that had clouded his eyes that he could not see, but he must have read or heard about all of the prophecies and all of the scripture that talks about Messiah. Uh, like, like for one, let's turn to one in Psalm 72. Turn uh, um, left of where you are, or east, or south, or excuse me, west. <laughs> south would be down. Uh, Psalm 72, 
in there, there's many parts of this psalm deal with the coming of Messiah. Like in verse 2, talking about Messiah, he will judge your people. That means he will rule people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. Mountains will, br- will, bring, prosperous, will bring prosperity to the people. The hills f- full of the fruit of righteousness. And he will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy and he will crush the oppressor. Look over at verse 12. He will deliver the needy who cry out, like Bartimaeus is doing. The afflicted who have no one to help. He will take pity on the weak and the needy and he will save the needy from death and he will rescue them from oppression and violence. For precious is their blood in his sight. If you want to study some more in the Psalms, just in the Psalms, it's all over the the Old Testament speaking of Messiah, but Psalm 16, Psalm 22, Psalm 35, Psalm 41, Psalm 68, all speak of Messiah. And Bartimaeus knew about and hoped for Messiah. And Bartimaeus must have heard about Jesus because the the news of him spread all around the land that he would uh, heal the sick, that he would cause the lame to walk, that he would even raise the dead and give sight to the blind. And preach the good news to the poor. He no doubt, because people do that in those days, wonder, where is he from? They probably learned that he was from Bethlehem. And that he was from the line of of Judah. From the tribe of Judah and, and, and from David. And Bartimaeus may have put together that with Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For it says this, for unto us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. He will reign on David's throne. And so Messiah was called the Son of David. And when you said the Son of David, is it was as if you were saying Messiah. They were one and the same. People used them interchangeably. And Bartimaeus put it together. He saw it. He saw what the disciples could not see. And he stepped into faith, seeing that Jesus must be Messiah, the one who restores, the one who can heal, heal, the one who we have been waiting for years for. This was his aha moment. And he yelled out, and he got louder, and he screamed out, even as the people tried to hold him back. Bartimaeus was now not just curious, he was convinced. Faith had taken hold. Faith, like Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. He cried out, he screamed out. This was his chance. Jesus can heal him. I've got to try, he said. So he kept screaming, son of David, have mercy on me. Please heal me. I know you can. And with unyielding faith, Bartimaeus expressed relentless faith in Jesus, even though he could not physically see him, which is very ironic. (laughs) Because here are the disciples who had seen Jesus walk on water, who had seen Jesus raise the dead, who had seen Jesus just do miraculous things, turn five loaves and two fish to feed thousands They had seen all of this. They knew the same scriptures that Bartimaeus did. And yet they didn't connect it. They didn't see it. But a blind man saw it. The question is, what do you really see when you see Jesus? Is he really your Savior? 
Is he really your Messiah? Is he really God? Or is he just some guy up there, some good teacher? Do you have that unyielding belief, that kind of faith where you would scream out in front of everybody, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. You know, it's interesting that uh, other faiths and beliefs have no problem wearing special dress or showing signs of faith. I was at Cypress High School a while back and all of a sudden this, this, this student dressed in a kind of a robe thing, uh, stretched out a mat, knelt down and began to pray right in front of everybody. He didn't care. He just stretched out and, and prayed and yet our tendency is to be incognito Christians. <laughs> you know, we, we kind of uh, we want to be just like everybody else. We don't want to be different. Ooh, you know, I don't want to. I want to show everybody that I I'm just the same as everybody else. And so we have our little secret Jesus on the side. You know, we kind of quick go to church so no one sees us, and and we, we rarely talk about God because we don't want to show our faith. And yet, having relentless faith means that we're willing to identify with Jesus, and with unyielding belief, be a little different. And hopefully, it's not being the obnoxious, judgmental, uh, religious people like those who tried to quiet Bartimaeus because Bartimaeus did not fit their profile of a Jesus follower. You know, as I studied this this past week, I, I, I sat for a moment and wondered, do the actions of my faith attract people to Jesus or do they repel people from Jesus? Am I like one who says, no, come, come Bartimaeus, come see Jesus because I've experienced the same healing you have? Or do we push back, no, no, you don't, you don't fit the model of Christian that I, I like. I like those rich Christians that have it all together because I want to be rich too. Having unyielding belief in Jesus is not just a mental understanding. It's action. That's what Bartimaeus had. He had action. Write down James chapter 2. You can read this later. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. It talks about actions. That, 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 or it talks about faith. That if, if faith is, doesn't have evidence or actions to back it up, it's really useless. Bartimaeus took action. And so should we. Be unyielding in your belief of Jesus and show it. That is relentless faith. Here's another contagious action of relentless faith. It's fearless in asking Jesus for the audacious. Look at verse 40 to 42. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, Bartimaeus said, I I want to see. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And as I mentioned, that is receive again your sight. Bartimaeus was not afraid to ask because his belief had moved him from being curious to being convinced to now being committed because he addresses Jesus as Lord. The word Lord means master. It means owner. It means I subject myself to all of your will. Nothing of myself, it's all of you. You are my Lord. I give you ownership of my life. Master, benefactor of needs, submission to his will, 
Knowing his ways are his ways and he doesn't have to give any explanation for his ways because I am not the Lord, he is. Relentless faith means we are bold enough to have the audacity, the dare to ask of God. Does not Hebrews 4.16 say, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Also, James 4, and, and I want to encourage you to read the, the uh, uh, verses around James 4 and the other verse in James I'm going to share, but read those contexts because they have, they're so rich with meaning about our prayer and asking God with, with boldness. You want something and don't get it, James 4, 2 says. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. We are to boldly approach the throne of grace. James 5, 16, I love the context of this because it's talking about uh, prayer and, 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 and bringing honest prayer to God. And it says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will, may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's effective and powerful because a righteous person has relentless faith in Jesus. That Jesus can. See, our belief leaves it open for Jesus to do whatever he will do. Now, he may not give us all that we ask for, not because we lack faith or because we're not righteous. I mean, those do have factors in there. But our faith in asking leaves the option as a possibility. All over Luke, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Write down these verses and, and look them up later. Luke, Luke 7.50, Luke 8.48, Luke 17.19, Luke 19.48. Two, all talk about your faith has healed you. Now, we don't always know what is best or what God wants. He may want us poor. He may want us uh, with our disability. He may allow it to remain so that we stay humble. He may allow us to remain in our suffering. God is not sadistic. Yet relentless faith is being bold with our audacious request opening the door for Jesus to do whatever he will do. Jesus didn't heal every blind person. He did heal Bartimaeus. What I love about this passage is when Jesus stopped, because Jesus cares. Jesus always has time for compassion, and so should we. Sure, it's inconvenient, and it, it takes time, and it doesn't fit our schedule. And I love the way this church responds to those in need. We had uh, two people this past week uh, uh, die and this church is surrounding the families and seeking to bring memorial services together and put together these things to honor uh, these people and, and, and because compassion doesn't wait to be scheduled. Compassion is immediate. So what audacious request would you ask of Jesus if he came to you today? You know God can, so ask boldly. That's the kind of fearless faith that is relentless faith. So will you fearlessly ask Jesus for the audacious? Persisting, unyielding, being fearless are all courageous actions of relentless faith, and so is ruthless trust to follow Jesus. Let's look at the last verse of our passage today. It says, Immediately, he, that's Bartimaeus, received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Underline, if you have your Bible, for the word follow. 
For the word follow means here to be a disciple. It means to follow one, to, to look to one as a guide, to submit to their way of doing things, to be obedient, to use as a model. It's, it's not a program, but it is a way of life. And that takes ruthless faith. You know, a lot of times we think of discipleship as a program, as, as a way to do things. And we have in our mind a certain way of acting and a certain way of doing things. And, and it's not quite like that. Um, Dory Takazawa sent me a, uh, an email of, a, of some people who are doing work in Japan. And Dory's going to share them a little bit. But uh, uh, one of the uh, workers uh, with Asian Access, that's the mission that both Dory and Takeshi Takazawa are involved in. And and, and Kant was, was writing about just his experience with helping the people of Japan, just bringing them aid. And this, uh, I believe it's a young man. Is that right, Kenan? Do you know him? He's a young man. Um, this young man, is, he has an idea of what discipleship is. That it's verbally sharing the gospel. And, and I want you to listen as I read just his account of what happened here. He, he had an opportunity just to bring hygiene kits and, and, and things to people in need and sat down with a pastor uh, and just talked with them. And he says this, that um, in the past I would have not thought much about simply sitting down and listening to a pastor for his encouragement. Real mi- missions and real ministry would have been uh, to teach or equip, uh, not just listen and small talk, but I would have not thought much about bringing relief supplies if there was no opportunity to share the gospel. Real ministry would have been been sharing the supplies and the gospel message. Please don't misunderstand me. I do want to take every opportunity to be a witness for Christ, to share the gospel, to tell others the reason that we're helping is that the the love of Christ compels us. The, The question is, what if there's no opportunity to give a verbal witness? Is it still worthwhile to do mercy ministry? My answer earlier might have been, I've been called to make disciples, so I uh, won't get involved if there's no opportunity to share the gospel, the verbal gospel. But now I've been, begun to think, not only in terms of what I've been called to do, but who I've ca- been called to be. I've been called to love my neighbor as myself, period. I've been called to feel compassion and respond as the Good Samaritan did when he helped the man on the road, period. I am called to do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the house of the faith, Galatians 6.10, period. Again, I I do want to share the gospel at every chance I can and be a witness whenever I can, but even if I can't witness with words, I'm still supposed to love my neighbor, show compassion, and do good to everyone as I have opportunity, especially to other believers. That's what we did today. This was uh, just a couple of days ago. And it felt so good to do so. I hope that through our efforts, Japanese people will come to understand that Christians are compassionate, loving people. And as I read that, I thought, man, I, I want the people of Cyprus, the people of Buena Park and Anaheim and La Palma and all the cities that surround us to know that Christians are compassionate and loving. Not just out there trying to cram a track down their throat, but actually to be loving and caring. And that takes ruthless trust and ruthlessly following Jesus. Bartimaeus changed his life direction to follow Jesus. The question is, have you? Have you really? That takes ruthless faith. You know, yeah, dogs are are loyal. And even 
like the relentless Hachiko. But beyond that, God is calling us to see the relentless faith of a blind man named Bartimaeus, and we're to do the same. To persist in humility and curiosity, to have unyielding belief in Jesus, to be fearless in asking Jesus for the audacious, and to have ruthless trust to follow Jesus. The question is, what is your choice? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity to come before you this morning and to look into your word and to be challenged by this blind man named Bartimaeus. Father, help us to have relentless faith far beyond a dog like Hachiko. But Lord, help us to have faith that just is uh, that ruthless faith that moves us to action, to love like these Japanese believers who are seeking to love their countrymen and women and children, Lord, with your love, so that they will see that Christians and Christ cares. Thanks for this time to look into your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Uh, as I mentioned,